0: Uh, today's passage is called A Spiritually Mature Church. You know, Kent Hughes, who is a biblical scholar, he said that, um, that in the early church, uh, he said, following the church through Acts is like following a wounded deer through a forest. Drops of blood mark the trail. Now, the reason he said this is because the early church had gone through so much hardship. And I think even for us these past couple months as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've talked about just persecution, persecution, division, division, sin, and sin, and sin. And it's been difficult for the early church. However, what we also see is that every time persecution happens, the church explodes in spiritual growth. Now, as I was studying this passage and as I was thinking about this in general, I couldn't help but think about our church, about Shining Star Community Church. I think it was around, last, around this time last year in 2019, as I was praying over our community and over this ministry, that I was asking the Lord what he wanted for us to do in this next year, in 2020. But actually, I wasn't really praying that because I had a pretty clear idea of what, what I wanted to do. I had a pretty clear program, I had a pretty clear vision, I understood where we needed to go and what we needed to do to get there, and so it was more of a prayer asking God, God, this is my vision, can you get alongside with it? And so as I was praying, that's kind of how I was praying, and, and yet, towards the end of that prayer, there was something that kept pressing upon my heart, and it was the word breakthrough. God just, said, God just kept on telling me, Danny, this is going to be a year of breakthrough, this is going to be a breakthrough for you, for the members of the church, for our church, for just the church in general. This is going to be breakthrough. Now, I was like, okay, that sounds that sounds, you know, that sounds good. I, I feel like that can align with my vision. All right, that's cool. Now, little did I know what that would mean, right? And I don't think anyone could have expected truly everything that had entailed with this past year. I don't think anyone could have ever guessed that we would stop holding physical services for months on end. And I don't think that anyone could have thought about the, the cancer or the death that would have occurred in our congregation in this past year. But what I also believe is so absolutely true is that through those trials, God has spiritually matured our members and our church. And the reason that I'm able to say this so confidently is because even within our different groups, even as I pray for you and think about you, I see so many of you serving more than ever before. I see so many of you even looking at our finance report, even the different things that more of you are giving more than ever before. And I truly believe that our church is spiritually stronger than ever before because as I speak to you and as, I, as we converse with each other, your motivation is not in order to earn salvation or anything like that. It's because of all that God has done for you, you are pouring out in grace and in thankfulness. And that is what it means to be spiritually mature, that you are giving and pouring out because you know what God has done in your life. And that's why, man, when I think past this year, 2020, this truly was the year of breakthrough for us. Because God, had was, God was really preparing and molding us into something new. And he was trying to get us ready to accomplish something really great. Because I'm, I was doing the same exact thing now as I did last year. I was praying for what God wants us to do for next year, 2021. And I wasn't praying that weird prayer of, like, God, set my, you know, go with my vision. This time I got corrected. This time I knew. I said, God, whatever you want, I'll do. God, whatever you want to lead, I'm, I'm going to go with you. So, God, what is it? And the one thing that he kept pressing on my heart was, Danny, this was the year of breakthrough. Now you're going to be going to the year of stepping through. Now you're going to be the year of courage. Now it's going to be a year of faith. Now it's going to be a year of something that where you're going to have to push through, where the members of your church are going to have to push through in faith. You're going to have to take hold of whatever I've promised you. You're going to have to take hold of the things that I've already given you, and you're going to have to go and push forward in them. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that, church, as a community, as individuals is if we take hold of his promises and if we prepare ourselves spiritually and mentally to push forward in that. Look, the reason I'm bringing this up and the reason I'm talking about our church and about spiritual maturity is because this passage in particular, it talks about how the early church grew in spiritual maturity. And I believe that there are lessons for us as we head into this new season, that are going to be directly applicable to us. And as we look at this passage, there are going to be three things that define spiritual maturity for the early church. First is that they matured through trials, second is that they matured through understanding, and third is that they matured through self reflection. Now, the first part is that they, that they, gained spiritual maturity through trials. Let me read to you verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, meaning Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. You see, after the death of Stephen, Saul and the religious leaders began searching and killing other Christians. And it was so bad, in fact, that they had to scatter to all different parts of the world in order to live. When we look at this passage, just this part here, it seems like the religious leaders had won because it seemed like the church was finally broken. However, in verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Even though it may have looked like the church had broken, the trials had only helped spread the gospel even further. And one of the main reasons the gospel was able to spread was because the persecution that happened to them actually divided the people and it forced them to go out to all different parts of the world and begin spreading the gospel. It's interesting how God works in that way. Church, trials help us grow in spiritual maturity and what I'm saying right now I know we've heard it so many times but I I think it's so important for us to repeat it again and again because for you if you have been a Christian for any amount of time you know that your spiritual maturity many times is intimately connected with your trials in life. Personally, I know that many of my cornerstone moments, the times when I've, gone cro- when I've gone closest to Christ, the times when I can really point out and say, man, God was so real during this time for me, were the times that I was experiencing so much pain and frustration and suffering. And I know that for many of you, you can say the same thing. This isn't an accident, church, that these two things are connected. Because the Bible says that God purposely plans spiritual growth to happen as we experience hardship within our life. That just like a blade or steel is refined in fire, our spiritual lives are going to be refined in the very same way. What hardships do, church, is that it exposes what we really believe, and it exposes who we're really following. You know, there's there's a study, or there's a lot of studies, that show that wildfires, as dangerous as it can be, as devastating as those may be, wildfires are a natural part of many environments, because they are nature's way of clearing out dead wood and dead plants. And it shows that even without, without man meddling in nature or whatever, there were fires that would happen and those were good. They were supposed to happen. Because studies show that fires allowed important nutrients to return to the soil. And it even allowed the resin and pine cones to melt so that the seeds would be dispersed. Church, this is the same in our lives as well. The fire that happens is good for us. It's meant to clean away and clear away all of the sin in our lives. It is meant to expose the deep addictions that are hidden within us, that are holding us down and that are simply dead wood, that are strapping us away from Christ. It's only going to be when those trials and when those fires happen that it is exposed and that we are able to move past it. It's only then that we can restart and grow in our relationship with God. Now, what's interesting here, and I think that this is a fear for a lot of us, is that the studies, it gives a caveat at the end. It gives a warning. They said that wildfires are good, yes, but they are only good if they serve a specific purpose. In other words, if they burn for too long, then the ecosystem, it can't recover. They said that, especially today, when a lot of wildfires are man-made or when a lot of wildfires are due to kind of climate change and all of that, then it leads to irreversible damage in the ecosystem. They weren't meant to last for that long or burn for that hot. And that's really scary because when we relate it to our own lives, the question becomes, okay, trials may be good, And I understand that, man, trials can help us reach closer to God. But what if this trial in my life is just too big? What if this fire that's happening right now is too hot and it causes irreversible damage? What then? Church, the answer to that is no, no. There is no such thing as a trial being too big or a fire be burning too long. Because we believe in a God that is too powerful for that. Because we believe in a God where the Bible says that temptation, and that Satan, and that all of those evil things need permission and authority from God to even happen. We believe in a God that there is no fire that is too great because God is in charge of that fire. And there is no trial that is too large because we believe in Romans 8.28 that those who are called to him, he is doing all those things for our good. That even in the bad, that even in the good, and that even in the worst times of your life, God is working those things to grow you and to support you. And he is not going to give you too much to the point where he is aloof or inattentive to what he is trying to do in your life. Our God is an attentive God. He is a God that loves you more than you could ever imagine. If he is a God that had clothed the sparrows in the sky, that had dressed the flowers of the field, then why would you ever for a second think that he would allow something in your life that he has not already ordained for you? You see, that's why Paul was able to say, that even in that moment, that even with all the terrible things that he had committed, that even be, being in jail and awaiting execution and suffering and torture, he said that even these things, my present sufferings are nothing compared to all that will be waiting for me in heaven. And church, I think I think this is what it means to evangelize for us. A lot of us are, are so scared when it comes to spreading the word, when it comes to talking about God and, and our faith to other brothers and sisters, or to other people outside the church. But what it means to share the gospel is simply that we share what God has done in our lives. That's it. And what trials are able to do is, look, everyone goes through trials, whether you're a Christian or not. But trials for us is so much different than trials that the world experiences. Because for us, we have an eternal hope. For us, even though we experience fire, we know that there's going to be light at the end. And we know that Jesus Christ has saved us and is waiting for us in heaven. You see, church, our job is simply to share what Jesus has done in our lives and people will be naturally drawn to that that truth. We're all meant to share. We're all meant to share that. Now, let me add on one thing. Verse four says that those who were scattered preached the word. This is a a tricky verse because I think when we hear the word preach, what we automatically think of is someone on the pulpit kind of banging their fists and just like kind of shouting and screaming and, and all that stuff. And, and that's kind of reserved for pastors, that's reserved for elders, that's reserved for people who are called, right? However, in this verse, the word preach is actually just another word for evangelize. And what we know here is that in verse 2, the apostles or the leaders of the church actually stayed behind. The ones who were spreading the gospel were other Christians who were just, part, who were just members of the church. You see, this is the point. A spiritually mature church is not one that is led entirely by the staff or entirely by the leaders. It is led by each one of us who are convicted to spread the gospel in every part of our lives. And church, this is my hope for us: that we would not become scared or that we would not become worried about spreading the gospel, but that simply we would share what God has done for us. This year, 2020 has been difficult. It has. But what has God done in your life through it? I know this year has been maybe confusing for a lot of us or has been maybe the worst years of our lives, but what has God been able to do in your life through it? That's all it is to share the gospel. That's all it is to share and evangelize what God has done in your life. And that is going to be the most powerful testimony that you can share. I hope that for us as a church, we are so passionate about the Lord, that for us, man, when we talk about, when we just talk with other people in our lives, that naturally Jesus Christ is brought up. And I think that's why it's so important to know what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And that's why it's so important to know the gospel as well. And this leads me to my second point. Spiritual maturity is through understanding. You see, verse 5 and 6, it says this, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Now, it's obvious from these verses that Philip was, was a powerful man of God. And what that meant is that God was working powerfully through him. It says that the crowds of people were gathered to hear him and they were all listening with one accord. Now, when it says they were listening to one accord, what that means is that, man, they're being convicted by the Holy Spirit, Like something was happening in their lives and they were agreeing and they're saying yes and they're being saved. Now, the reason they were being convicted was because Philip knew the gospel. How do I know that? It says here that he went and proclaimed Christ. This is my point, Church if you want to be spiritually mature in your, in your faith, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, if you want to be effective for God's ministry, then you have to know the gospel. And the gospel is Jesus Christ. Look, I know that it can be hard to explain the gospel at times. And there's a reason why when, you know, there's, I know you guys have seen this if you're in life group. I've, I've written that question down. Explain the gospel to your members, right? And I know that in your, your heads you think, oh, why do, we have to, why do we have to do this, right? But I think it's so important for us to be able to talk about the gospel, for us to remind ourselves of it, and to say it daily almost. The gospel is explained in verse 5. Philip went down to the city and proclaimed Christ. Jesus Christ is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It's that Jesus Christ died for you and I. Second is that he rose again. That's the gospel. And what a beautiful message. You see, in the book of Hebrews, the author, he's talking about Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the old covenants. But all of a sudden, in chapter 9, verse 16, he says, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Now, a will is a legal document that expresses a person's wishes as to how they want to give their possessions and their assets after they die. Now, this may seem like common sense, but a will only works after the person dies, right? In other words, Bill Gates, he could leave his entire fortune to his kids, but until he dies... That will is worth the exact same as a piece of paper in my own house. However, the moment Bill Gates dies, that piece of paper will be one of the most valuable pieces of paper in the entire world. What I'm trying to say is this. In the Old Testament, God had made a covenant to send a Savior who would save our souls. You see, when he made that promise, What he essentially did is he wrote down a will. But that will only took effect when Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's why it is so important that Jesus Christ died for us. Because he lived a perfect life, and he was the spotless lamb. And for us who are full of sin... We could not die for ourselves, and no one could die for us that was on this earth. However, God had made a promise. He had created a will, and that will was stamped, and it only came into effect when he sent his one and only son to die for us on our behalf. But that wasn't the end of the story, church, because if he had just died, then it would have shown that sin and death were stronger than Christ. It would have shown that even though the will was signed, it didn't actually mean anything. But because of Jesus' resurrection, we know that Jesus Christ overcame sin and death to rise again and show us that even the most powerful things in this world cannot overtake him. Amen? It's why Jesus confidently said in John 16, I have told you these things so that you and I can have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, church, but take heart because I have overcome this world. Church, in order to be spiritually mature as Christians, we must understand this gospel. And lastly, spiritual maturity, it comes through self-reflection. You know, in the later half of this passage, we come across this this weird story of a man named Simon the Magician. He's a really charismatic person. He's really, uh, I'm pretty sure, fun to be around, and he had a lot of great things to say, and and he does magic too. I mean, who doesn't like magic, right? And in the Bible even, he's described as great multiple times. Not just once, but multiple times. Everyone was listening to him, And they even said that this man seemed to have power from God. Now, for all intents and purposes, Simon the magician seemed to be a lot like Philip. However, what we see is that when Philip comes on the scene, Simon is amazed and sees that Philip is even greater than he is. Simon is so amazed by what Philip does that Simon says he believes and gets baptized. Now what happens after this is very strange and people have argued about this too is that Simon the magician he sees how God is working through the apostles and what he does is he offers money to have that power as well. In verse 20 and so he says can I have this? How much money will this cost for me to have? And Peter responds in verse 20 by saying May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Now, what's scary about this passage is that Simon the Magician went through all the Christian protocols. He heard the gospel from Philip. It says that he got baptized by the church, and he was living with the believers, watching the apostles live and do miracles. And yet, what we can conclude from this passage is that he was not saved. Now, scholars believe this because of Peter's response. Peter says that Simon has no part in this matter and that his heart was not right before God. Now, the other reason I believe, I, I believe that he wasn't saved was because in verse 13... It says that Simon believed, but it doesn't say what he believed in. When you look at other previous passages, other believers, they say they believe in Jesus Christ. It's clear what their object of belief is in. But for Simon, all he says that he believed. And what I believe that they're trying to conclude is that Simon believed in the power and he believed in the miracles, but he did not believe in Christ. John Piper, he says it this way, Simon the magician had faith, he just didn't have saving faith. And this is the point, church. It is so important for us to reflect on our own spiritual walk with God. Because we are a generation that loves looking outward and pointing our finger at everybody else, but we have a huge blind spot when it comes to our own spiritual health. The question is, do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ or do you just believe? Do you believe in community? Do you believe that people are nice here? Do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe in the miracles that have happened? Do you believe in everything else or do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's going to be the question you have to really ponder and you really have to think about. Because there is a stark difference between those two. Because one, on one side you will have Philip, and on the other side you will have Simon the Magician. And to a lot of people, they look the exact same. But they're not. And in order to be spiritually mature, as us, as Christians, as believers, we're going to have to understand our own hearts. And we have to stop pointing the finger at everybody else, and we have to look within us and say, do I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for me, and that he rose again? You see, for Simon the magician, the thing in his heart was the pursuit of greatness and of money. For Simon the magician, he believed in the power of God, But the reason he believed in the power is because he believed that the power of God could give him more money. He believed in the power of God because he thought that it could give him more influence. And that's why he said, look, I want that power of God. How much money can I give you? Because once I have it, I can earn even more. For him, all he wanted, his motivation, his drive, the deepest part of his heart was power, influence, and money. And church, what I want to emphasize to you is that those things aren't bad. But for Simon, they were everything. And we see that he was just trying to use Jesus Christ as a means to get those other things. You know, Tim Keller, he says that, you know, we take good things and we make them into idols that drive us. And for many of us, man, we do that with so many things. And we begin to replace Jesus Christ with all of these other things in our hearts. And, and the point of trials, the point of hardships, the point of fires is so that God can reveal those things that are holding on to us. So that we can take those things out and we can replace those things with Jesus Christ. And so the question is what is your idol, church? What is it? Is it Jesus Christ? or is it something else? See, Peter, in his rebuke, he told Simon one thing. He said, you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is a gift. It's a gift. There's nothing we did to deserve it, and there's nothing we can do to earn it. It's all because God loves us that we work that we serve that we love and that we give and that's why church if this is truly you if you really believe that the gospel is a gift then you know what you're going to be on fire for the lord if the gospel is really a gift to you then service and worship and all these different things is simply a byproduct of worshiping him If the gospel is really a gift to you, then your life will be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. I think the beauty of Shining Star Community Church, the beauty of you guys, is that I've seen this to be true. This past year, I've really been able to witness this firsthand. And I have seen how the gospel has been so evident in your guys' life through the fires and through the... trials and tribulations and i have been able to walk beside you and see how you have held on to jesus christ more than anything else and it has pushed me to be a better christian it has pushed me to be a better pastor it has pushed me to be a better brother and to you guys this year has brought a lot of things but I'm so thankful for them because it has shaped our church into maturity, and I believe God is simply getting us ready to go into something really great in this coming season. So be ready and get excited. Amen? Let's pray.